The Mark Stein Show. And now, here's Mark. September 15th, 2020. Seven weeks from today is Election Day in America. President presumptive Kamala Harris can barely contain herself. We will need to make sure you have a president in the White House who actually sees you, who understands your needs, and who has your back. A Harris administration together with Joe Biden. A Harris administration with Joe Biden. Uh, Getting a little ahead of yourself there, Kamala. Save that for... Oh, January 23rd, January 27th, maybe early February, if you're confident he'll hold out that long. Interestingly, as you can tell from her robotic I Speak Your Weight delivery, Senator Harris was reading from a teleprompter. So that bit about the Harris administration appears to have been loaded into her prompter by whoever's running it. Maybe splits are emerging between the Harris teleprompter and the Biden prompter. Or maybe Kamala's coming down with a spot of the old Biden cognitive impairment. Maybe you get it from the teleprompter when you spend that much time with it. Joe Biden was uh, out of the basement briefly and has promised that under a Biden administration there will be fewer fires, hurricanes and floods. His basement has apparently been pretty badly hit by all this climate change. Donald Trump warns that integration is threatening our suburbs. It's ridiculous. But you know what is actually threatening our suburbs? Wildfires are burning the suburbs in the West. Floods are wiping out suburban neighborhoods in the Midwest. Hurricanes are imperiling suburban life along our coast. If we have four more years of Trump's climate denial, how many suburbs will be burned in wildfires? How many suburban neighborhoods will have been flooded out? How many suburbs will have been blown away in superstorms? If you give a climate arsonist four more years in the White House, Why would anyone be surprised if we have more America blaze? Climate arsonist, eh? At a time when there are actual arsonists starting fires with Molotov cocktails, uh, these guys hate everything vertical, statues, trees, people. So we have actual arsonists plus a few accidental arsonists holding gender reveal parties that get out of hand, as we discussed on Rush the other day. Uh, Other than that, though, the now annual Western fires, which mysteriously stop at the Mexican and Canadian borders, are caused by politically driven ideological forest management. So like other West Coast phenomena, such as the CHOP, Chazistan Autonomous Zone, there are tests for progressives about whether they're willing to virtue signal unto death. California is actually in its death spiral which is why no one in San Francisco can remember whether they're wearing the face mask uh, to protect themselves from the COVID, from the fire smoke, or from the smell of human feces all over the streets. Joe Biden has signed up hundreds of 
Well, go on, take a wild guess. Policy advisors, middle school girls with perfumed hair, nurses with powerful elephant gun sedatives. No, he's signed up hundreds of lawyers, including former Attorney General Eric Holder, all in preparation for Election Day. Because you can't hold an Election Day in America without legions of lawyers, because a citizen can't vote without a six-man legal team. Meanwhile, the first general election in North America since the CHICOM 19 descended was held yesterday in the beautiful maritime province of New Brunswick. So we're now waiting for all the mail-in ballots and recounts and court rulings and uh, the networks should be ready to call a preliminary result in the early spring. Uh, No, actually, the polls closed at 8 p.m. Atlantic time and the telly networks called it for the Tories at 8.55pm. Just like a perfectly routine election in an advanced society. After two years in minority, Premier Blaine Higgs, who triggered the snap election, managed a majority win. I'm humbled to serve you again for four more years as MLA and as Premier. New Brunswickers turned up at polling stations in masks and face shields, among them Liberal leader Kevin Vickers, who was defeated and has now resigned. Hmm, if the name of that Liberal leader, Kevin Vickers, he lost not just the election, but his own seat. If that name sounds familiar, it's because six years ago, Kevin Vickers was the plucky and alert sergeant at arms in the House of Commons in Ottawa, a ceremonial position that turned suddenly scarily real. And he wound up shooting the crazy Muslim revert, attempting a parliamentary bloodbath after murdering that poor Argyle and Sutherland Highlander, Corporal Cirillo, at the Cenotaph. Mr Vickers retired as Sergeant-at-Arms and after a brief diplomatic career went into politics. Alas, he picked the wrong party. The Tories turned a minority government into a solid majority. And it all went off without a hitch. And on just a month's notice, a four-week election campaign, also normal, it's freakily weird, almost as if it should be possible for a first world nation to hold election day on election day. Maybe Eric Holder could file a motion to stay with a New Brunswick Superior Court or something. Just remember, the chaos and sclerosis that will begin as if on schedule late afternoon on November the 3rd is nothing to do with a public health crisis. It is a conscious choice and a crisis only for the integrity of self-government and the reputation of the United States of America. Yesterday, Chris Williamson's Modern Wisdom podcast posted an interview with my friend, Douglas Murray. I take it it was recorded a day or two earlier because Douglas was talking about the world's most notorious transphobe, J.K. Rowling, and the extraordinary number of her publisher's employees who earlier this year balked at having to work on her children's book, The Ichabog. Who ever thought that the creator of Harry Potter would become Goebbels? Uh, I mean, the most unforgivable cancelled person. It's extraordinary. And by the way, I mean, because that's that was the attempt. The, walk, the attempted walkout at uh, at her publishers, Hachette, was was not uh, because 
they didn't the 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 the, i think 150 or so people mainly young at hachette who said they couldn't work uh, on the latest jk rowling book and didn't want to be in the same places they weren't publishing in jk rowling's big book of trans it wasn't <laughs> Chicks with Dicks by J.K. Rowling. It was a new children's book to be called The Ichabog. And if you are an adult in the world and you can't be in the proximity of a children's book called The Ichabog, it's possible this world isn't going to be able to be arranged around you anymore. That's Douglas Murray working blue. He doesn't do that when he's on The Mark Stein Show. But evidently, J.K. Rowling anticipated it uh, because her latest book is more or less chicks with the aforementioned appendage. Her new crime novel, Troubled Blood, features a serial killer, a man who dresses up as a woman uh, to commit his murders or her murders. I don't want to misgender anyone. Twitter, which is 87% transgender with the remaining 13% as, quote, allies. Allies. A totally gay concept for dweeby straights who aren't man enough to transition or have penetrative sex with other men, but want the electric frisson of appearing to be part of the scene. It's the sexual equivalent of buying a hybrid. Uh, Where was I? Allies. Oh, yeah, Twitter went bonkers, and the hashtag RIP JK Rowling started trending worldwide to the point that uh, people thought she was literally dead, which is actually what they want. She's the planet's best-selling author. But when a billboard went up in Vancouver the other day saying simply, I heart JK Rowling, a city councillor claimed it was hate speech and it was immediately taken down. Saying you love J.K. Rowling is hate. Love is hate. Very Orwellian. I've talked before about my appearances in Europe for a decade and a half now with various, quote, haters and, quote, extreme right-wingers. And, in fact, they're all like Lars Vilks and the Charlie Hebdo guys, old-school lefties, extreme left-wingers, 60s lefties, soixante huitards, who fell out with the left over Islam to the point where the only fellows willing to stand by them and appear on stage with them uh, are me and Douglas Murray and a few other right-wing haters. And you can see at those occasions that they're sad about that and they miss their old lefty chums. And I can understand that. I'd be unhappy if no one wanted to stand by me on stage except Jeremy Corbyn and Ilan Omar. Uh, And J.K. Rowling is now on that same grim trajectory, by choice. She doesn't have to do this, but she is at odds with the cultural moment. And why be the world's number one writer if you can't say what you want, what you believe? Big Trans is demanding that Ashette pledge to give a percentage of its profits from the book to trans charities. Uh, Publishers are so broke these days, I would be surprised to see that. Still, I do wonder how soon it will be before Harry Potter is expelled from public libraries after public protest. And indeed, in this present insanity, I wouldn't rule out a sufficiently woke politician, Justin Trudeau in his third term, maybe fourth term, ordering the state confiscation of Miss Rowling's royalties and their redistribution 
among approved victims groups. The LGBT QWERTY crowd are determined to take her down, and I wonder how many of her left-wing chums who co-signed that letter to Harper's Magazine with her will, in the end, stick with her. David Hume, the great philosopher of the Scottish Enlightenment, has a tower named after him at the University of Edinburgh, but apparently he didn't think trans women should use the same showers as cis women or some such. Uh, So 1,700 students signed a petition, and now the David Hume Tower will bear some other name, and all his Enlightenment endeavours can avail him naught. So it is official. The disenlightenment has begun. And now, from the land where everything is policed except crime, and no, I don't mean the United Kingdom, after getting effortlessly outpaced by the state of Victoria down under, the British Transport Police made a spectacular comeback for the home team last week to reclaim the trophy. Good evening, all. It's your Brit Wanker Copper of the Day. Alas, in recent days, the Victoria Police have so outdone themselves that we really have to detach them from the rest of Her Majesty's constabularies around the planet and give them a league of their own. So we probably should also give them their own ident. What what, what you got? Uh, oh, a sinister g'day, mate. Well, that sounds promising. G'day, mate. <laughs> It's your Vicwit Wanker Copper of the Day. Let me pregnant wife loose, Bruce. Let me pregnant wife loose. The docs all set to induce, Bruce. So let me pregnant wife loose. All together now, timey wanker cop down. Sport, timey wanker cop down. He's wankered up the old town. Sport, so timey wanker cop down. Yeah, I know I said there was no Oz TV cop theme as iconic as Zedcars, but we're not even trying with that, are we? None of the wit and brio and sophistication of kung flu fighting or zippity doodah. We're just pulling it out the icebox now, because there's no point wasting wit and brio and sophistication on Chairman Dan's Victorian enforcers. A general up yours will suffice. The state of Victoria is named after the Great White Queen, under whose reign English ideas of liberty, freedom of speech, freedom of movement, due process, self-government spread around the world. In today's Victoria, a jurisdiction no longer worthy of her name, the city of Melbourne is under a curfew from 8pm to 5am. Well, that's not so bad. There's still 15 hours a day to gamble and frolic in. Uh, well, no. There are just four reasons for which the freeborn citizen is permitted to leave his house. For one hour's exercise per day, for one trip to purchase food alone per day, uh, to visit a doctor or for the small group of quote-unquote essential workers to go to work. Assuming you have about your person the government-issued permit authorising you to go to work uh, when the policeman demands to see it. That's it. And so, as interpreted by these wanker coppers of the Victoria Police, it is now illegal for a 38-week pregnant woman to sit in public. You're allowed to be in a park, but you can't sit in a park at all. Only, you can only be out of your house one of the four reasons. That's one of those would be exercise. Sitting in a park is not one of the four reasons. So I'm pregnant and obviously my exercise is limited. Like I don't know if because I have to walk. I'm now 
yes. puffed out because I'm 38 weeks pregnant. I understand. So even I can't sit in a park. Is that right? You can only be absent for four reasons. So I just confirmed that. Yes or no? I can't sit in a park. As a pregnant woman, I cannot sit in a park. For many years, a quarter century, in fact, there was a man who used to walk around Oxford Circus in London, just down from the BBC at Broadcasting House. I'd always see him when I was either arriving or departing from a a little light, if degrading, presenting work. He was a human billboard, and his great cause was dialing back, suppressing man's sexual desires. So his billboard bore the words, less lust by less protein, followed by a long list of passion-arousing proteins one should give up. Uh, Meat, fish, bird, egg, cheese, peas, beans, lentils. And then right at the bottom, the very last item, and sitting. That's what made his billboard funny, because obviously sitting isn't a protein. uh, But as this gentleman saw it, and he had their pamphlets to prove it, sitting does get you all aroused. He was a genial nutter, and everyone loved him. He's in thousands and thousands of random photographs of Oxford Street, Regent Street crowd scenes from the 60s to the 90s. And I was shocked uh, flying in from Canada uh, after a a little while uh, away from London to not see him and to learn that he died Stanley Owens. What a crackpot, eh? Thinking that sitting is a public menace. Well, two decades into the third millennium, sitting is a public menace in the state of Victoria. I don't know whether this officer knows much about pregnant women. He doesn't seem to have sufficient of a regenerative organ to impregnate a person of the opposite sex, but that's just a layman's diagnosis. But generally, when a woman is a week away from giving birth, it's a good idea when she feels the need to sit down uh, not to forbid her from doing so, lest something happen. Even if one accepts that these temporary emergency powers are legitimate as the temporary emergency enters its third quarter, and I I certainly don't accept they're legitimate. The Bozo Commissioners of Victoria should have trained their constables to wield these so-called temporary powers sensitively, humanely, non-insanely. Instead, there are we are only obeying orders, automatons, out on the streets. Uh, one possible reason for the police antipathy to sitting Uh, is that it makes it much harder for the wanker coppers to stomp on your head. Thank you, Chris. An arrest in Melbourne's north will become the focus of a professional standards probe after an officer was filmed stomping on a man's head. The video has sparked outrage online, but police allege the man became aggressive and damaged a patrol car. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? The man was taken to hospital following the arrest. Hello, Glenn. Uh, how are you? How's your son? Ah, uh, well, we don't know yet. He's uh, he's in ICU and um, in a um, coma, and they put him in a coma last night to um, so they could do a CT scan on his head because he was he was stomped on or kicked by the police. And apparently, there was two bystanders watched everything and saw everything that happened. They rammed him with the car on purpose, which they're going to to testify about. They rammed your son. Yes, and he flew about three metres in the air on the nature strip. 
and these witnesses will testify to that. Yeah, but that's not the police, is it? That's other people. That's the police. Oh, the, yeah, police, the police car rammed him. The police car rammed him, yeah. Asked about this incident specifically, the Premier of Victoria, Dan Andrews, said... I think I'm safe to make the following comment. Uh, much of this... Well, sorry, all of it can be avoided if people don't protest. That's the first thing. Because protesting is not only selfish, but it's stupid. So it's his fault they stomped on his head. There is no evidence this man was protesting at all. But there is video footage of the police cruiser running him down in the street before they decided to take their policeman's boots to his head. As I said the other week, when the Jobsworth copper supposedly conceded that the optics were terrible. The optics are intentional. If you know what's good for you, you'll keep your head down. Unless you want your head really down, on the pavement, with my boot on it. Got it? Your wanker coppers of the day, of the month, of the year, the Victoria Police. Jazz, Frank Sinatra, good old-fashioned rock and roll. Fill your ears with all sorts of music curated by Mark Stein himself at Stein Online. Riding along in my automobile. The music plays on at Stein Online through exclusive Mark Stein show performances. There's a kind of hush all over the world tonight. Biographies of great performers and songwriters and Mark's On the Town audio specials. Chuck Berry to Cole Porter, Ted Nugent to Johnny Mercer. New specials added regularly. Put some records on by heading over to www.steinonline.com music. The Mark Stein Club presents The Hundred Years Ago Show. Slaughter on Wall Street, mass injuries at the Flickers, and a Democrat nominee wants California without Orientals. It's September 1920. A hundred years from today. Your world news update, the messy aftermath of the Great War continues. The first disarmament day has been held in Germany for weeks. Posters across the defeated nation have advertised the stark slogan, Liefere deine Waffen aus, deliver up your weapons. And on disarmament day, Germans did just that. At depots across the land, citizens stood in long lines to hand over their guns, all in compliance with the Treaty of Versailles. For the first time, the League of Nations has been asked to decide an international conflict. The Polish and Lithuanian governments have submitted their border dispute to the League's Council to arbitrate. Finland and Sweden have also agreed to refer their differences over the Aland Islands to the League of Nations. Smile, there's a light and a dream. See that sweet as the day, see so that 
The Dew of Killarney, the Rose of Kildare, the Snow of Athlone. Did he mention Queenstown? Because if you're planning on going back to the old sod to see that old Irish mother of yours, don't take an eastbound ship from New York. Four days before two American shipping companies were due to start direct transatlantic service to Ireland, the British government has closed the port of Queenstown to all US shipping. The Irish insurrection continues and the authorities do not want the rebels getting any assistance from their cousins in New York or Boston. In the United States itself, a horse-drawn wagon proceeded down Wall Street at midday, past the lunchtime crowds, and parked in front of a treasury building at the corner of Broad Street, the busiest intersection in Manhattan's financial district. Barely a minute later, it exploded, shredding the horse and wagon into thousands of pieces, killing 30 people immediately, and more in the days since, and injuring over 200 most of them young messengers, clerks and stenographers. Initially, police assumed it was an accident and contacted explosives manufacturers to see if they'd been delivering in the area. They then discovered that the bomb had been packed with shrapnel in the form of cast-iron window weights in order to inflict more death and injury. And they realised they were dealing with the most murderous terror attack ever – on American soil. Investigators believe anarchists and or Bolsheviks are responsible. We all love that crazy new cuckoo waltz, but are Japanese immigrants cuckoos waltzing into the nest of California? That is the position of Democrat presidential candidate James M. Cox taking time off from the party's enthusiastic promotion of the Ku Klux Klan in northern states to call for action on Orientals in the West. As Baron Shidahara, the Japanese ambassador to the United States, entered into formal discussions with Secretary of State Bainbridge Colby over California's impending referendum restricting Japanese rights in the Golden State, Governor Cox, campaigning in San Francisco, declared himself in favour of Asiatic exclusion and pledged that if elected president, he would work with California's leaders to keep Orientals from settling in the state. Or as the Chicago Daily Tribune headlined it, California will be forbidden to Japs, Cox says. The Democrat promised that unlike his Republican rival, he was committing the national government to full cooperation with California in excluding the Orientals. California may not like the Japs, but New York is hot for the Reds. All five of the socialist members expelled from the state assembly on the first day of the legislative session last year have been re-elected in special elections across New York City. September continues to be an incendiary month around the world. Just six days after the post office began regular transcontinental airmail delivery across America and only 11 days 
days after suffering its first loss of a pilot, the airmail service has seen two more fatalities. After encountering engine trouble en route from New York, an airmail flight made an emergency landing near Pemberville, Ohio. The Junkers all-metal plane appeared to have put down safely when its fuel tank suddenly exploded, killing both Walter Stevens, the pilot, and mechanic Russell Thomas. In spring, a young man's fancy turns to things romancy, but not this coming spring. The producers of the new motion picture Man, Woman, Marriage, about the history of differences between the sexes, had confidently expected that when it opens in late March next year, a young man's fancy would turn to the supposed wonder play of a thousand delights set to mark a new milestone in revels of sex antagonism, with legions of Amazons, barbaric dancers and pagan beauties to tickle the fancy of the aforesaid young man. The climax of the film is said to be an epic horseback battle between between the sexes, with thousands of men and women riding bareback upon each other. Unfortunately, filming the scene near Chatsworth, California, has set a new record for workplace injury in pictures. 160 members of the cast have filed injury complaints, a third of them women, at least nine of whom have been hospitalised. In sports news, after another meeting at Ralph Hayes' Pierce Arrow and Hupmobile dealership in Canton, Ohio, more team owners have signed up for the first pro football league in the United States, now under the name the American Professional Football Association. Aside from Mr. Hayes' Canton Bulldogs and other Ohio stalwarts, participants in the new league now include teams from Illinois, Indiana, Michigan and New York. Jim Thorpe an Indian, an Olympic gold medalist and a sporting legend in football, baseball and basketball has agreed to serve as the Football League's president. Wireless broadcasting continues to spread with a new station in Los Angeles, 6ADZ, launched by Fred Christian, the owner of the electrical lighting supply company on West 3rd Street, uh, in order that customers who purchase receiving equipment from his store will have something to listen to. It's California, so no performances of Madam Butterfly, presumably. And that's the way of the world. September 1920. A hundred years from today. A hundred years from today. Oh, you know what this music means. Mark's mailbox is on the air. Peter Duncan, a first-week founding member of the Mark Stein Club from Washington State, writes, While the evils of what Chairman Xi and the Chinese Politburo have done to the world cannot be understated, don't you think it's equally important and disturbing to note that at least in the United States, our government has been withholding hydroxychloroquine from citizens? I've spoken to nurses who have seen firsthand patients who are actually able to get 
the drug and make a speedy, side-effect-free recovery from the virus. This strikes me as crucial evidence of what the government is really about here, especially when they keep talking about how imperative it is that we have a vaccine before we even think about reopening the country. We already have a cure. Yeah, Peter, it's very interesting, this. Hydroxychloroquine is on the WHO's list of essential medicines, has been for decades. It's been approved in the United States for two-thirds of a century, and it's very commonly prescribed, uh, just bubbling under the hot 100, as we disc jockeys say, uh, in terms of America's most prescribed medications. Uh, Chloroquine itself has been around for almost 90 years. This has been a standard malaria treatment uh, for decades, as any colonial civil servant could tell you. Is it any use with COVID-19? Well, taken early and possibly with azithromycin, as I think that French study uh, has it, appears to be beneficial and certainly uh, isn't harmful. Now, people say the problem with hydroxychloroquine is that Trump started talking it up, which obliged everybody else to talk it down. If he recommended taking two aspirin, uh, the Centers for Disease Control would ban aspirin. Um, and from the permanent emergency crowd's point of view, uh, to go back to Peter's point, a cure is less attractive than a vaccine. If I understand his latest position, Dr. Fauci is saying we can't fully emerge from lockdown until we've had a vaccine in use for at least a year. And you know that in three or four months, he'll be saying if the vaccine does come along, uh, that it will be until a vaccine's been in use for at least two years. An old malaria treatment just gets in the way of his ambitions. But there's something else here, too. There's not just a military-industrial complex, there's a medical-industrial complex. If you heard my serialization of Daniel Defoe's Journal of the Plague Year, you'll know this isn't particularly... Uh, anything uh, new. Uh, the London streets were infested by quacks uh, the minute the plague arrived. Uh, today, though, uh, when you have a new disease, Big Pharma is on it like flies on dog feces, because if it's a big, high-profile, media-promoted disease, there'll be a lot of money for whoever finds the cure. Dr. Fauci knows all about this from his AIDS days. So there's a lot of dough being spent on COVID-19 research now. And what's the last thing anyone wants in that situation? For a near-century-old generic drug to perk you up just fine. Because in that case, there's no big bucks in it for anyone, uh, including the approval process guys in the various uh, governments and regulatory agencies. A new disease cured by an old medicine offends against uh, the pharmaceutical industry's basic business model, which is why it can't be allowed to happen. Mark Stein's Last Call. For one generation, Diana Rigg will always be Mrs. Peel in The Avengers. For another, she will always be Olena, the Queen of Thorns in Game of Thrones. In between, she was the only woman who ever got to call herself 
If not for long, Mrs. James Bond in On Her Majesty's Secret Service. She was a compelling and domineering presence in the very creepy BBC series Mother Love, a rather humane Mrs. Danvers in Rebecca, and just a magnificent Medea in the West End and on Broadway. Uh, one of the best nights in the theatre I've ever had. She was diagnosed with cancer just as Britain went into lockdown in March, and like Britain, she never came out. Back in the 90s, I went to the theatre in my critic's capacity and having been let down by my date. And uh, just before curtain up, down the aisle came Dame Diana, also flying solo, and uh, slid into the seat next to me. And as there was a rather long line for the ice cream tubs at the interval, we fell into conversation. I'd, I wouldn't want to work out how uh, old she was back then, but she was uh, very effortlessly sexy. Uh, she began wearing her hair in bangs, that distinctive uh, low-lying fringe of hers. Around about the age, women are told they should quit wearing bangs because it's too girly. But... Uh, she carried it off. I think it was the combination with the smile and the cheekbones, and um, she stuck with that style. Uh, neither of us introduced each other, it being just neighbourly chit-chat till Act 2 began, but obviously I knew who she was, and she let it be known that she knew who I was because friends of hers sent her vicious clippings of my work every so often. Round about 1980, she'd put together an anthology of the all-time worst theatre reviews and called it No Turn Unstoned. Uh, she just asked her actor chums uh, for their worst reviews and said all the uh, British guys uh, eagerly responded and were pleased to do so, uh, and the Americans were a bit more standoffish and sensitive about the uh, the whole thing. Um, everybody, everybody and his auntie have tried doing this sort of thing, but Diana Riggs is the very best of these uh, stinker review anthologies. I refer to it often... And read it for pleasure uh, quite a lot if I'm sick in bed or whatnot. Uh, and, um, and Diana was always under pressure to do an updated and expanded edition. And in fact, in recent years, took to doing it as a one-woman show. But the reason she did it is because when she made her Broadway debut in Abelard and Eloise, there was a nude scene and my old friend, the New York critic, John Simon, did not care for it, or more specifically, for Dame Diana's contribution to it. She is built, he wrote, like a brick mausoleum with insufficient flying buttresses. Uh, having seen her in a cocktail dress, I would dissent from that judgment. But she was at first hurt by it and then resentful and then came to appreciate it as a rather good line. She was, in a sense, flattered by him taking the trouble to be so vicious. And from that throwaway line of John Simon's A Book and A Show emerged. She was a great artist, but never pretentious. Uh, very self-aware and always grateful to television for, as she put it, making her. The Avengers of which I speak is not the hideous, bloated, witless superhero franchise, but a low-budget, high-style 60s series in which Patrick McNee as John Steed and Diana Rigg as Emma Peel had such killer chemistry. You didn't care the show had no money to pay for extras. 
in the supposed London streets they were adventuring in. Here's their very first tele-encounter. Good morning, Mrs. Beale. Good morning, Steed. The door's open. Social visit? That's it. Happened to be passing by. Thought I'd drop in. The format was simple. Steed was retro, Mrs. Peel was modern. Uh, so he drove a vintage Bentley in racing green. She had a sporty Lotus Elan. Mrs. Peel fought with guns and karate moves. Steed had a sword stick and a steel-rimmed bowler. She was a married woman whose husband had vanished while on an expedition up the Amazon or some such. So their relationship was sexually unspecified, which is often the best way in drama. And in fact, because of Dame Diana's chemistry with Patrick McNee, they were sexier together than most of the sheet-crumpling screen couples of the time. That was one of many aspects the buffoons managed to ruin completely in the hideous big-screen remake of The Avengers with a charmless Rafe Fiennes and a vulgar Uma Thurman as Steed and Mrs. Peel. Hollywood should have been put out of business permanently just for that excrescence. Um, having played uh, Diana Riggs' first appearance as Mrs. Peel, I'll play her last when the missing explorer husband suddenly turns up. And as they part, Steed calls her by her Christian name for the first and last time. You've seen the newspapers? Yes. Trust him to make a dramatic reappearance. Found in the jungle. The Amazonian jungle. Corny. Ridiculous. They've flown him back. He'll be picking me up in a few minutes. Here? Always keep your bowler on in times of stress. Watch out for diabolical masterminds. I'll remember. Emma. Excuse me, apartment three. At the top of the stairs, thanks. Um, he likes his tea stirred. Anti-clockwise. That's Mrs. Peel bumping into her successor on the stairs of Steed's flat, Tara King, played by my compatriot Linda Thorson. Dead at the age of 82, a great actress whether in Agatha Christie or Shakespeare or Euripides. Dame Diana Rigg. Tell you what, let's close with Laurie Johnson conducting his great telly theme for the Avengers. They always had very witty opening sequences. If you're wondering what's going on underneath all this pneumatic percussion, well, Patrick McNee is walking on with a bottle of champagne whose cork he loosens just slightly and then extends his arm. Enter Diana Rigg in 60s catsuit. 
she produces a pistol and fires. And what do you know, she blows off the cork of the bubbly perfectly. Don't try this at home, boys and girls. It's a good way to find your Verve Clicquot or Paul Roger full of glassy splinters. At any rate, with a clink of glasses, the theme tune begins. Stay safe, stay free. Thank you.